People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 417. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. We are absolutely going to talk about Avengers Infinity War today. But to make it easy for those of you who haven't watched it yet, I mean, really, who are you if you haven't seen it yet? <laughs> Don't you want to be part of a statistic, the biggest movie opening ever in the history of the world? Uh, we are going to put our discussion at the end of today's show. So once we get to that, you can just hit stop and move on to After Dark or next week's episode. But... Here's a spoiler we'll just talk about now. North and South Korea appear to be talking. Yeah. (laughs) This broke right when we were recording last week's episode, right, Laura? Yeah, it did. Um, And we were kind of having a little bit of a meltdown because we had already started recording and had a bit of a full docket. But this has been really interesting to watch. Um, Basically, North and South Korea talking about a denuclearization plan for the North, um, which was something that Kim Jong-un had promised Donald Trump earlier in the year and led President Trump to believe that the two of them would be meeting to come up with this denuclearization plan. And then these North and South Korea talks happened and the U.S. was not involved at all. Um, I know this was something that got thrown around as a possibility when we talked about this in the past, we threw around the possibility that involving Trump in this early on was a way of potentially embarrassing the U.S. on the world stage. Does anybody feel like that's what's going on here, or is it too soon to tell? That'd be pretty epic if that's what was happening here. They were just trying to embarrass Trump, but I don't think so. It uh, Watching this um, meeting between Kim Jong-un and Mr. Moon, I believe his name is, mm-hmm. of South Korea. Like, I don't know. It seems all very legit. And Kim Jong-un wrote in, like, the South Korean's diary over the DMZ border, like, looking forward to a prosperous future or something like that. Like, I don't know. It just, it just, I think North Korea has reached a turning point here, or at least Kim Jong-un has. He wants to be a part of the world. He doesn't want to be alone anymore. I and mean, the sanctions have so probably... And the sanctions have probably been killing him. Yeah, I think I'm not saying that it was an insincere meeting. I just find it interesting that originally the talks were slated to be between Trump and Kim Jong-un. And then all of a sudden, talks with North and South Korea happened and the U.S. was not involved in it at all. Trump was literally on the sidelines tweeting about it like, look at this great talk that they're having. It's a historic moment, and it's like you could tell that he desperately wanted to be involved in those headlines. I just think it kind of proves that, like, you know, like, the United States really likes to believe that they're the person that needs to step in in every big world situation, but it's not necessarily necessary, you know? Mm -hmm. And it definitely, like, makes him look bad because this was something that, you know, like the way Trump talks about it, it's like everybody needs Donald Trump to fix relations amongst nations or amongst world leaders. But like the reality is, is like nobody really needs him to do anything. Like people are more than capable of, you know, extending hands of whatever on their own. Yeah. And this yeah. type of discussion has come up before on this show and elsewhere. America does not need to be world police. We can let these countries handle things on their own. That said, I think North Korea meeting with South Korea first was a very natural, smart, and so far so good first step. I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's also worth noting that I don't know that this necessarily marks a change of heart for Kim Jong-un. I think that North Korea has been heading in this direction for a very long time, economically speaking, their model is not sustainable. (laughs) So I think they're seeing that writing on the wall as well. Yeah. Well, we'll continue to talk about this as it develops. I guess one big question is if Trump could potentially mess this up somehow, maybe with saying something that he shouldn't. 
um, or something along those lines. But I like to believe that there are enough advisors yelling at him daily to not say anything stupid to screw it up. So <laughs> I, I think he might be able to pull off some restraint here. Uh, but we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. Some other news that broke, and I just want to mention it briefly because I think it is a very important issue for millennials. Sprint and T-Mobile announced over the weekend that they intend to merge. Uh, They came up with a few reasons for why they want to do this. It'll help them better compete with AT&T and Verizon, which are the two larger U.S. largest. And if this merger happens, uh, only two of three of the carriers here in the United States, the major ones anyway. Um, they, Sprint and T-Mobile also say that by joining up, they'll be able to deploy the next generation 5G network, and that would allow for faster speeds than we already get with LTE, and even faster than speeds you might get at home, which is actually pretty impressive. And apparently 5G would also just be more reliable, and this would allow things such as cellular service built into cars um so and and they also say they'll 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 keep their prices low but that's the problem when you get rid of competition the in this case three remaining carriers will be able to drive their prices up because there's less carriers to compete against so this is this makes me nervous because we all rely on our cell phones more than anything in our daily lives It's unfortunate, but it's true. And that means we have to pay for a cellular service and and good service that 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 works, that will keep us connected at any time. And if these three carriers all decide to start raising their prices, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no other guy who can say, hey, I'm going to get you a lower price and offer the same services that the big three provide. So we'll see if the government steps in and shuts this down. Um, I kind of doubt that they will. Yeah, very doubtful, especially with the government's stance on things like net neutrality. Mm-hmm. I just don't see this being a priority for them. Uh, in terms of this, I have to agree with Andrew. I feel like my concern definitely lies more on the cost side of things. Let's face it, T-Mobile and Sprint literally have like the shittiest service ever. So they can combine their shitty services. I don't care. But I'm an AT&T customer. AT&T's customer service is fucking terrible. And I know this is only going to make it worse. You know what? That's a good point, though, because I just we finally had to upgrade our AT&T contract because I we for the longest time we were riding on the coattails of this grandfathered in unlimited data that they had for the longest time. And it was like pretty cheap you know, because this was back, you know, five, six years ago, or even longer than that. And um, they finally like ousted us and we had to sign a whole new contract. And they did it by slowing down services for that until suddenly, suddenly, it's like, it was impossible for you to do any work. I I mean, I do journalism um, full time, I'm a freelance, uh, full time freelance journalist. So like, I need my phone if I don't have my computer. That's like a fact of the trade. And it was just impossible to get anything done. So we finally had to upgrade. Wow. What they did to you is like carrier plan gentrification. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. But we kind of waited until the last minute. Originally, when they were trying to get us to do it, it was was like way too expensive. We would have had to pay like $100 more a month. And then finally, they realized that people weren't happy and they were like jumping ship and going to like other competitors that were offering lower services. And so AT&T had to like, they were forced basically to change the prices. And now it's about the same amount. It's just broken down differently on the bill. It's like super weird the way they justified it. Um, But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen going forward because now that we're on a new plan, like they could technically just change it and say, surprise, bitch, we're going to up the ante and now you're gonna have to pay like two hundred dollars more so we'll see you're a millennial and now you have to pay two hundred dollars more yeah <laughs> they're gonna be like stop ordering extra guac at chipotle <laughs> stop it's your getting fault, avocado clearly. toast exactly 
This is why I'm still on my family's plan. I think most people in our age group are. I am too. But like, um, it's cheaper though, because, you know, my mom was not on um, an unlimited data plan and she, you know, she is also like not a millennial, but she pretends like she is. And every time she streamed a YouTube video, the bill would go up like 30 bucks. (laughs) So we we had to upgrade the whole plan. And now she's like really happy because she has unlimited data too, but we're not so pleased that we had to jump ship basically yeah yeah family still plays, cheaper family plays are, plans are definitely the way to go i don't even think you need to technically be in a family like you can can't no. you and a friends get get together and just yeah do? you just like transfer money to, to like the one account holder every yeah. month that's kind of like what we do with my mom we just yeah. have like a ongoing transfer and she gets money and then she pays the bill for the whole family that's what yeah. i do with my parents and then like every now and then my mom has to be like Hey, you haven't paid your cell phone bill. Yeah. I'm like, Babe. I'm like uh, sorry, I had to pay my student loans this month, Mom. Hard same. Sorry, Mom, I had to eat. <laughs> I I have to say this. It's it's a little embarrassing, but my phone bill is the one thing my parents still pay for. They have miraculously not made me start having to pay for my phone. So... uh Hope that lasts a while. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. It's probably not that expensive because you're probably just an add-on line to their plan. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think my thing on my parents is like 60 bucks a month. Well, I think, yeah, it's about that for AT&T mm-hmm. per, maybe it's 50. I don't know. We have some, we have the unlimited data now, which I freaking love. Mm-hmm, um, same. And uh, I think my mom gets a discount for being a teacher or something. Um, former millennial host, Matt actually jumped onto my family plan back in like 2009, 2010. And this was before it may have been a little earlier because this was before it was easy to bring your phone number wherever you went. So he had to get a new phone number. So, (laughs) so he, he will forever have a phone number in my area code where I grew up. Yep. Which I which I find hilarious. He'll never be able to forget me. Why do you have a six oh nine number? Oh, because uh, my ex. Uh, I was on my ex's family plan. Oh, I think that's probably a pretty common millennial problem. Yeah, yeah. Pat, not putting you on my family plan. Sorry, don't even ask me. He doesn't need your family plan. Yeah, he's got his own family plan. <laughs> <laughs> He has his own family. <laughs> Shit. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, did y'all watch the White House Correspondents Dinner this weekend? I tuned in after seeing all the tweets about it. Oh, man. Did you get a chance to watch, Pam? I did. Yeah. Um, I want to give a little bit of an overview for people who might have missed it. So for the uninitiated, this is a yearly event Uh, For the journalists who cover the president and the White House, worth noting is that the White House Correspondents Association operates independently of the White House, though the president and other high-ranking officials traditionally attend to dinner, or attend the dinner, rather. Um, For the second year running, President Trump did not attend. And for the record, the last president to miss the Correspondents Dinner was Ronald Reagan, and it was because he was recovering from an assassination attempt. God. So while there are certainly valid criticisms uh, of the Correspondents' Dinner, I'm sure we'll be getting into here in a moment, I wanted to focus on this year's speaker, comedian Michelle Wolf. Wolf delivered an absolutely biting monologue that went after Democrats, Republicans, and the media. This is pretty much what the keynote speaker does every year. What's different this year is that our resident despot and his lackeys couldn't handle the truth bomb that Wolf dropped on the Washington Hilton. Andrew, can we go ahead and play this clip about Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. (laughs) Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. Probably lies. So, yeah, that was one of the big uh, jokes that a lot of people have been making a big deal out of because it got misconstrued 
as as though Michelle Wolf was making fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' appearance, mm-hmm. which if you take two seconds to listen to the joke, she wasn't. She was actually complimenting her flawless smoky eye, which is true, um, <laughs> but also burning her for being a fucking liar and getting up yeah. in front of the nation and lying on a daily, sometimes multiple times per day uh, on that kind of basis. So it's really common for speakers at these dinners uh, to face criticism from people and organizations that might feel slighted by some of the jokes. Um, But Michelle Wolf's monologue was condemned by the president, former press secretary Sean Spicer, a number of individual journalists who were the targets of jokes, and chief of staff Reince Priebus, um, probably because he was pissed that she made a joke about Reince Priebus being her porn star name but I digress. Um, But most recently, and this is the thing that irks me the most, the White House Correspondents Association issued an apology. They said, last night's program was meant to offer a unifying message about our common commitment to a vigorous and free press while honoring civility, great reporting, and scholarship winners, not to divide people. Unfortunately, the entertainer's monologue was not in the spirit of that mission, as though they didn't know what she was going to say. Yeah, and she even joked about that. They were. She was like, did you guys know what you're getting yourselves into? She said that during the monologue. Yes, my thing is, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I find it very hard to believe that they would let that the White House Correspondents Association would let somebody go up and speak at an event like this without any vetting. Right. And by the way, it's hilarious that in this W, uh, this White House Correspondents Association apology, they don't even say her name. She's like Voldemort now. They just say <laughs> yeah. the entertainer. Sorry about the entertainer's monologue. Like, what? Just- well, and the thing that I'm like, wait a second, y'all. Hassan Minaj hosted the dinner last year, and he also did a great job. He referred to Steve Bannon as a Nazi during the dinner. Yeah. Um- so it's not uncommon for these speakers to take some low blows at people, at the president and people in the cabinet, plus people in the media. There really wasn't anything that Michelle Wolf said last night that was out out of the realm of possibilities for what would be considered appropriate based on prior years' performances. Yeah, and not to mention the presidents who used to show up to this, they would poke fun at people as well. It it is well established that when somebody stands up at that podium and is doing a comedic act, people are going to get burned. In the case of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Michelle Wolf, I actually, (laughs) I don't know what it was. Maybe it was her delivery or maybe it was the fact that C-SPAN kept cutting back to Sanders, but it did feel like, ouch. And I dare say maybe she did go a little too far because maybe it's too much to say those types of things right to this person's face. Like, I agree that the right especially shouldn't be complaining, given what Trump says, given what has happened at correspondence dinners in the past. But something about this performance did feel off to me. But I can't put my finger on it exactly. What is so bad about it? Well, the difference about this performance is that this this is the first president, this is the first administration that we've had that does not play within the bounds of our democracy, right? Mm-hmm. They don't play by the rules. So naturally, the people who are criticizing them aren't going to either. As Sarah Huckabee Sanders herself said, defending Trump's Mika tweet, uh, Trump will fight fire with fire. Pam, what do you think of all this? Oh, man. I don't know. I Well, first of all, with the Sarah Sanders stuff, it's just kind of funny to me that the smoky eye is what people are harping on when I thought that the Handmaid's Tale Aunt Lydia reference was a little bit more like, ooh, burn. Um, but it's probably just because people don't get that reference unless they've seen the Handmaid's Tale. But I feel like that's a little bit more telling than, um, you know, a comment that was not necessarily about makeup, but it's like grasping at straws. It's like, it's just so ironic to me, though, that the entire point of this dinner is to celebrate not only freedom of the press, but like, 
the idea of the First Amendment and free speech. And so with that in mind, whether or not you agree with what Michelle Wolf said up there, she's within her right as a comedian because like satire and comedy is protected by free speech. So I don't know. It's just kind of it's you can be offended all you want, but that's what she was meant to go up there to do. And that's what she did. Yeah. It's just a double standard. I mean, I think about all of the previous correspondence dinners I've ever watched. And I remember uh, at one of George W. Bush's, it was like a year or two after we invaded Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction. And they clearly didn't exist because we weren't fucking finding them. And he recorded a whole video making fun of himself searching in the White House for the weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> and people just like chortled about it like, oh, 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 it's so funny. And I'm like, uh, no, we actually invaded a sovereign nation and like killed tens of thousands of people. Right. So if I you're just... going to be offended about something, <laughs> maybe yeah. that. But, you know, Laura, I think you really hit the nail on the head with kind of bringing the Trump administration into the reason why people are like there's so much backlash on this, like not necessarily just because. Michelle is a woman, but also because they're trying so hard to spin the narrative that they want. And we've seen time and time again how they tear down um, various news organizations when they, you know, report the truth. But the truth doesn't lie within the scope that in the narrative that they're trying to, like, preach out to the world and also to the United States. So anything that's going to be negative, they're just going to harp on. It's just really disheartening, honestly, for me to see everybody kind of jumping on this bandwagon. You yeah. know, because like when that happens, like that's really scary. The Republicans love to jump on this right now because they'll take any chance they can to attack the left, to attack liberal Hollywood when so much bad shit is happening on their side of the aisle. Um, we also have a note here about Stephen Colbert's performance uh, back during the Bush era. Colbert got a ton of shit about that. And in hindsight, though. It looks fantastic. It, 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 there's nothing bad about it. So I think in the case of Michelle Wolf, after some time has passed, we'll look back on this one and be like, well, she was absolutely right. She does burn up the facts. And maybe that's what bothers me so much about this, that, that maybe this is why it makes me uncomfortable. Maybe it was too close to the truth. Maybe she was flying too close to the sun. I was like, damn, this stings because it's so fucking real. Sarah Huckabee Sanders doesn't operate in reality up on the White House podium. She defends Trump left and right no matter what he says. But you know what, though? It's like if you look at back at Hassan Minaj's monologue from last year, I think his delivery is like way different from Michelle Wolf's. But he did end his correspondence um, speech by kind of speaking and addressing the media in the room, saying that they have a responsibility to step up to the plate and like really get the job done, because that's the only reason like that's the only way we're going to you know, keep our eyes wide open Yeah, uh, with Trump in office. And so she didn't, she just kind of did it in, in a much more, you know, uh, cutthroat way. But it wasn't like the message wasn't any different from his. Yeah, that's right. And she does offer an, a message to the, the media at the end of her monologue. She says that people have to hold him responsible. Maybe that hit too close to home too. By the way, liberal... Uh, outlets that are considered liberal were also taking down this Michelle Wolf speech. Uh, Andrea Mitchell from MSNBC was very angry about it. Um, that surprised me, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, to be honest, I feel like it, just in terms of her burns on the two-party system, I felt like a lot of the stuff she said about the Democrats was way more biting than what she said about the Republicans because all of the jokes she made about Republicans – they're the kind of jokes it's like, oh, it's funny because it's true. And we hear this all the time because we hear the same regurgitated stuff in our echo chamber every day. But because the Democrats aren't the party of Trump, we don't hear it as much about them. And they deserve it every bit as much mm. because the Democrats are guilty of rolling over because they're afraid of, of losing elections. And that yeah. was something she called them out for. She was like, yeah, you guys are up right now in the polls and everybody thinks you're going to take the House and the Senate, but you're probably going to lose by like 12 points to a Nazi. <laughs> right. Because it's exactly what they did in 2016. 
Yeah. And so I think I think she was an equal opportunity offender. And I think all of the people she offended deserved to be offended. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a great tweet like, hey, everybody, let's put this in perspective. These people did not get hurt at the White House Court's Bonnets Dinner. There's people around the world suffering for very real reasons. So, yes, let's chill the fuck out. What else is going on in the news, Pam? Well, this was a headline that tore through social media. I feel like it was trending for a few days, but we learned, I think last week, that the Golden State Killer, a man that was famous for killing at least 12 people and raping 45 women and burglaring hundreds of homes across California between 1976 and 1986, was finally caught. Uh, This was dubbed the greatest manhunt of the decade, simply because it just... He kept eluding police officers and they couldn't find him based on DNA samples he left behind because DNA samples only work when you have samples to compare them to. So basically, police search through the database when they get a DNA sample from a crime scene and hope that it matches somebody that's already in the system. But if it's not there, there's very little that they can do. And just last week, uh, this man was caught and it was just kind of insane how they ended up doing this. Basically, they used a DNA, um, like a, a site called Gen- GED Match, which is, you know, a place that people go to find out like their ancestry lineage. And his DNA sample was not in there, but it did match a descendant of his and they were able to just track him through that. So it's kind of amazing that this was technology that they were able to use, but it's also put people on edge because it's <laughs> kind of being deemed as potentially an invasion of privacy because you don't necessarily like use Ancestry.com, for example, to give police access to your DNA for future investigations. So right, where right. do we draw the line? You don't expect your asshole family members to expose you when they take these DNA tests. Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then I was also reading that um, they took a, a bit of his DNA after tracking him for a little bit and matched it up with one of his relatives. And that's how it all finally came into came into place. It's it's pretty nuts. And by the way, this guy was a cop. This guy used to be a cop. No. And he was raping and killing people. And I think I read that from... He, he, he was committing some of these crimes even while he was a cop, I think, towards the end of his career. But, like, holy shit, this is one fucked up guy. He's literally hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this, like, um, like the argument of invasion of privacy, though. I don't know if you guys have anything to add about that. But I thought that this was that was kind of, like, an interesting part of the story is that people are kind of worried about... Um, like if they send samples over to DNA sites, like what do they have the rights to do with that DNA? Um, and then especially with like, you know, the Facebook story breaking with invasion of like information, it's kind of adding to another layer of uh, a topic that people are already pretty paranoid about, but they're very popular right now. Yeah. So. I mean, I did that. I had my DNA tested. Uh-oh. Um, Your brother's going to get caught. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I guess... It feels like an abstract at this point because this is the first time we've ever seen something like this happen. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's an extreme case or if it's something that 10 years down the road, we're going to look back and be like, this was the beginning of the slippery slope. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I never thought about it in that way because I sent mine to Ancestry.com, which is a private corporation. Right. And I... It occurs to me now that I never read any terms or conditions, though I certainly agreed to them. Yeah. Pam, you bring up a good point, and this is why I like that we're talking about this. This is very popular, and it is a millennial issue. Like, I think these DNA services that uh, explain your ancestry to you are going to continue to grow. And I think as more of these services pop up, the prices are going to be coming down. So it's going to get cheaper and cheaper to do this. I think it's between like 70 to to $100 right now to get one of these tests. But one day, this I could see this being as, as cheap as 20 bucks, maybe. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So, so I don't mind if this method of tracking down somebody continues to be used. I mean, if you're committing a crime, fuck you. You deserve to be caught. 
And if it's through a family member, well, <laughs> that's something you got to sort out between you and the family member. Maybe tell the person you raped and killed a bunch of people before they go and get their DNA tests. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just feel like it it has to go along with any other kind of investigation in that you should obtain a warrant. I think legal procedures should have to be followed in this like it would be in anything else. That's a good point. And I think that like going forward, if this ends up, you know, back in the news for another unsolved crime, we'll probably see more legislation on that. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like one of those things where it's a bit of an anomaly right now. Mm -hmm. And there's no telling if they're going to do it again or not. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Pam, as somebody who grew up in California, were you always aware of this guy? This was before my time. Mm-hmm. Um, not that old. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I and Sa- actually Sacramento is about two hours away from San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I grew up. So yeah, this is not something that was on my radar. I think if anything, um, the biggest thing that my parents were always worried about was that in the early nineties, there was a girl named Polly class who was kidnapped and then murdered, uh, from a sleepover. And that happened very close to the San Francisco Bay Area. So for a really long time, like my parents wouldn't let me sleep over friends' houses Mm. because, you know, um, there's a potential that that could happen again. Like this girl was literally plucked out of a safe place and was never seen again. Um, So I definitely like I was reading some people's accounts of this saying that it was kind of terrifying to grow up in this time because you never really knew when he was going to strike again. And and given all of the instances and the crimes that he committed, I could definitely understand why it would put parents on edge or like women on edge. Um, Yeah. 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 I asked because when we found out that he was caught, a lot of people were freaking out over on Twitter about this. Um, And one of our friends, actually John Thrasher, he does a crime podcast and he was saying that, the first episode of his podcast, they spoke about this guy. And there are books about this guy as well. So it was a major story. And despite that, uh, I never knew about him. So I was just kind of surprised at the reaction to this. But good news he was caught. What is it with uh, California and famous serial killers? <laughs> it's a big... I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover out here. Yeah, <laughs> got the Zodiac, the Golden State. What is it? The Sleeper, the Grim Sleeper. Zodiac Hollywood, killer. Yeah, Zodiac Killer, the Hollywood Sunset Killer. I don't know. There's so many. I feel like there's one a decade that like well, wreaks havoc over the state. And look, I mean, when the weather's so nice, you want to be out and about, you can get killing. If, if it's a rainy day, maybe you don't want to leave the house. You know what I'm saying? So that's why there's so many in California. I see. Weather's nice. Guess <laughs> I'll go out and murder somebody today. <laughs> Andrew, I'm yeah. very concerned. Uh, you know about your logic here. <laughs> I, you know, it's not that out of the realm of possibility. I was actually reading about in Chicago, shootings are actually up over the summer, and why is that? Because people are outside more in the winter when it's nine degrees. You don't want to go outside and shoot somebody. You'd rather stay at home and think about <laughs> your upcoming summer shooting. I know this is dark, but it's yeah. true. I think serial killers are a little different, though. Their motivations, I don't think, are weather-related. <laughs> would be my guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with serial killers. I've read a lot of books. And they have patterns of, like, people, like mm-hmm. types of people that they want to go after. Well, now I'm worried about you because it's warm down in Atlanta. Well, we did have the Atlanta child monster here in the 80s. That was our famous one. Atlanta child monster. Or child murderer. I'm sorry. I got that mixed up because there's a podcast out now called Atlanta Monster about him. Oh. (laughs) He was the child murderer. That was the guy. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Before we move on, let's talk about our underwear. We've discussed me undies before, but we're still using them, right, Andrew? Oh, yes. I am wearing my briefs and loving them. Yeah, they are super soft. And what I love the most about them is that I can wear them with leggings and not get any panty lines. Um, And that's because they make them with something called lensing micromodal, uh, which I think is fancy science talk for angel wings and clouds. 
Basically, it feels like a soft kiss to the crotch. But anyway, MeUndies has cool new patterns and prints every single week, and they're offering an exclusive deal for first-time purchasers where you'll get 20% off plus free shipping. Additionally, a soft kiss to the crotch. So everyone, go to MeUndies.com slash M-I-L-L to get your 20% off. That's MeUndies.com slash M-I-L-L, and then write into the show and let us know how your crotch feels. You're welcome in advance. Yeah, I think people are going to love it. They are super comfortable, and at the price plus the discount, like, Mm -hmm. it's a fantastic deal. I just love all the new patterns all the time. That's so clever. So you're always wearing original stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. On to our final story today. Um, I was disappointed by this. Jory Reed, who is a popular host on MSNBC, she's a fantastic anchor. I love watching her. She's a freaking badass. She's taking down conservatives left and right, ju- right just off the cuff. Like she, she is very well read, very smart, and just, just, just hits them with the facts, and I just love it. Um, but unfortunately. Uh, her past isn't looking too good in terms of her views on homosexuality. There have been a bunch of newly uncovered blog posts in which she spews blatantly homophobic bullshit. Uh, the blog ended in 2008, but there were a bunch of posts that indicate a trend here. This this all started a few months ago in December when she was forced to apologize when blog posts were uncovered that wrote that then Florida Governor Charlie Crist was gay, nicknaming him Miss Charlie and claiming he only married a woman for political purposes. Uh, and then she admitted at, her to- at the time but her, that her comments were insensitive, tone-deaf, and dumb, and there's no excusing it. But now, from the same blog, new blog posts have come up. The thing is, these were uncovered through archive.org's Wayback Machine, this is a fantastic site. It, it's fun to browse. Um, just just Google for the Wayback Machine. You can look at any website from virtually any year that it was operating in. And it's it's like taking a portal back in time to see um, what websites used to look like, what they used to write about, stuff like that. Anyway, uh, people when digging on her blog found these blog posts through archive.org's Wayback Machine. Initially, Joy was claiming, oh, people hacked the Wayback Machine and edited the blog posts, which is just stupid. (laughs) That's not possible. But that was her excuse. Um, She hired some people to investigate it. And then this past Saturday on her show, she opened with an apology, admitting that while the investigators were not able to find any evidence of hacking, she herself doesn't remember writing these things. Uh, what did she write about? Um, she made more derogatory remarks about gay people. She said that Chief Justice John Roberts' son was gay. She made some remarks about Anderson Cooper being clearly gay. Uh, she claimed that most straight people cringe at the sight of two men kissing and that, quote, adult gay men tend to be attractive attracted to very young post-pubescent types one post acknowledged does that make me homophobic probably so this is just so disappointing what the fuck was going on with joy reed back in 2008 because now she obviously champions she's a champion of gay rights she's a champion of the general liberal movement the fuck was up with her I think that Joy Reid, like most of us, probably said some really fucked up shit 10 years ago and doesn't think that way anymore. My real beef with her here is not so much the content. It's the fact that she's trying to squirm away from taking responsibility for it, right? Mm. Like, I can accept an apology from somebody who's like, wow, look at me. I was a real fuck up 10 years ago. I obviously don't think this way anymore. And I deeply regret what I said. That does not reflect who I am now as evidenced by everything that I do now. Like I can have respect for somebody who does that because we all have fuck ups. Like I feel like if you went back in your internet history 
for anything you might have said over the past 10 years. I guarantee you, you've said something fucked up at some point. That doesn't mean that you aren't capable of redemption, but if you're not capable of at least standing up and owning up to it and saying, yeah, I wrote that, and yeah, it was screwed up, then I don't know what I think of you. Yeah, I agree with you. She should have just gotten out in front of this instead of the asinine argument that the Wayback Machine was hacked. Yeah, Um, that was fucking stupid. do, Do we forgive her? I guess I do. I just wish that she did jump out in front of it and i would like to hear her explain it more she did say that she grew up in a conservative household and that may have put her on the wrong path there initially i will say that people evolve but some of this stuff does seem pretty damn mean admitting that she might be homophobic saying most straight people cringe at the sight of two men kissing I, I I don't know. This doesn't seem to like stuff to write online. Yeah. I think that what would honestly like the most helpful thing for her right now would be just to kind of, you know, explain what her tipping point was. Like, obviously she explained like her background with this and, and I get coming from like, you know, a conservative background, but I think it would do wonders for her audience to kind of regain that trust if she were to come out and just kind of explain what her turning point was and and why she now feels differently. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, America loves a good comeback story, but she's got to give us a reason to kind of believe that everything she's done since then isn't disingenuous, you know? Right. And I think, I think, Pam, that's where you hit the nail on the head. It's like, it, it really calls into question the career that so many of us look at and admire, right? Because she's an incredibly skilled journalist. She has some great political analysis chops. And yet I'm looking at this and being like, well, what else are you lying about? Mm. You know? And it's like, if you can't be upfront about a shitty blog post you wrote 10 years ago, like, I mean, I don't know. I look back on myself 10 years ago and I know I said some shitty things back in 2006, 2007, I was pro-civil unions because I had not yet evolved to the point. I was still very much viewing gay marriage as this thing as like, let's just do civil unions so we can give people their rights and leave marriage out of it so the religious right just shuts the fuck up. And it wasn't until I later had that evolution myself and realized, well, that's, you know, separate but equal, which is unconstitutional that I changed my mind on that. Now, obviously, that's not the same thing as spewing bigoted hatred, which is exactly what Joy Reid was doing here. But people have come back from bigoted hatred. People have had that as their starting point and evolved to the point where they can be allies and they can be really effective Mm -hmm. advocates. So she doesn't have to lose any of that. She just has to... I mean... Unfortunately, she's she's uh, she's bare right now, right? Like everybody's seen her dirty laundry, and the only thing that she can do for herself is to own up to that and just yeah. stop trying to put fucking Febreze on it because it's not going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm on the Wayback Machine right now, and I typed in lauraT.com, and I don't like what I'm reading back from 2006. lauraT.com? Yeah, that, that was your old blog, wasn't it? No. <laughs> I'm reading some really horrible things. Really disappointed in you. I, I don't recall writing those things. Hmm. I don't know. This looks like your site. Are you saying it, your your Wayback Machine was hacked? I, I think it must have been. In fact, I didn't even use the surname T back then. <laughs> Not that I recall. Uh, yeah, I think your mind was hacked, too. <laughs> or I was All drunk. Right. It's time now for Surprise, Bitch. Surprise! Surprise! Surprise, bitch! And today we're going to call Camille. In Texas. Texas. Hello? Camille. Yes? Howdy, surprise, bitch. It's Millennial. How's it going? Oh, my God. It's a podcast. Hold on. 
What is that accent, Andrew? It's amazing. <laughs> oh my god! Hello? It's a podcast. Hey, where are you right now? I was actually eating dinner with my father and brother at a place called Willie's Ice House. Oh, very nice. Laura, have you ever been there? You used to live in Texas. Uh, have not heard of it. It's not. I don't think it's like a. It's it's a chain. So I have no idea if it's from here or mm. where it's from, really. But mm-hmm. what? Where, where do you live in Texas? Do you like it down there? Uh yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I actually grew up in Alaska, and we moved here when I was in high school. Whoa. But I'm north of Houston in the suburbs. From the very northmost state in America to one of the furthest <laughs> south. That's that's quite a change. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, for sure some culture shock. Uh, I live in, well, people in Texas may know, the we moved to a place called the Woodlands, which is like very uh, <laughs> uh, pretty like, I don't know, they call it the bubble. So it's just like the epitome of a, of a upper middle class suburb. Hey, did you just, watch the uh, White House Chorus, Correspondence Dinner the other night? I didn't watch it live, but I watched it afterwards. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought Michelle Wolf did a really good job. So, so you think the uh, the uh, <laughs> drama is overblown? Personally, yeah. I mean, first of all, any girl who has tried to do a smoky eye will know that doing a perfect smoky eye, that's a compliment. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. And I will yeah. say she does. Like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders does not go out there looking bad. Like, anyway, I didn't take it as a as a knock to her looks. I thought you know obviously she was commenting on the fact that she just goes out there and bald face lies mm-hmm. have you ever burned <laughs> facts to do a good smoky eye um i don't think i've ever burned facts you know what i probably have never done like a perfect smoky eye in my entire life so <laughs> sephora should do a new smoky eye now i'm not a woman so i, I, I should do a new, <laughs> new smoky eye uh powder and call it <laughs> call it facts they they could do a whole they could do a sarah huckabee sanders smoky eye inspired eyeshadow palette limited release go. how about infinity War? Okay. did you see that i did i had to wait till sunday night uh but Don't... i stayed off the internet essentially so i was good okay we haven't spoken about it yet we're going to in a couple minutes but did, without spoiling okay. anything <laughs> did you like it i did like it but i i <laughs> I always feel like Marvel movies are like the one place where I cannot be objective because anytime I go and see one, I come out being like, that was the best movie I have ever seen. <laughs> Wanting to like high five everyone. Yeah. So I feel like I, with all Marvel movies, I try to at least go see them one more time so that I can kind of like calm down from the adrenaline of having seen it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Laura, Pam, did you think it was the best movie you've ever seen? At least Marvel wise? It was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Not the yeah. best. No Black Panther, but it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I'll, I'll concede that point. It was it was no Black Panther, but I I had feelings when Chris Evans came out with the beard. So oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Camille. Well, I guess we'll let you go. Have a good night. The rest of your night at uh, Willie's Grill and Ice House. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for calling. I just want to say, um, well, really enjoying Pam, but Laura and Andrew, I've like been listening to you since, you know, I was like 13 years old. And Aww. anyway, when I moved here, when I moved here from Alaska, I like had no friends because I was the weird girl who like, anyway, uh, moved here from Alaska. So yeah, <laughs> MuggleCast like was awesome. Anyways. Awesome. Well, thank you. For I just wanted that. to say thanks for that. And we're glad we had your back during the move. Yeah, and thank you, you so did. much for you your really support. Did. I could put in my my earbuds from my Dell DJ and and pretend I was doing I was too cool for everyone else oh anyway. My God. So like <laughs> the Dell DJ was so cool. I always wanted one, but like you know, I had the iPod instead. But I still wanted the Dell DJ because that thing was cool looking. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Camille. And uh, have no a good problem. night. Thank Thanks you for your so support much again for calling. The kind words. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye, guys. Now that I'm looking at the Dell DJ, I think I had a Dell DJ. You, you would. Guys? 
Yeah. I just used, I was such, I mean, I still am, but I was such a nerd and uh, I used to love Dell. That was my favorite computer company. <laughs> so the Dell DJ was a very exciting release. <laughs> and you were probably the only person waiting up at midnight to get it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We have one more sponsor this week, and they're a new sponsor, Policy Genius, and their timing and sponsoring us actually could not be any better. Since moving into my new home, I've been getting a ton of life insurance solicitations in the mail, and this is so bizarre to me because I never got any before. Like, now that I own a place, do life insurance people feel the need to swoop in because I have nothing left to do in my life? Why are they contacting me now? So I actually went looking for life insurance and it's a pain in the butt because there's a ton of options and I've ended up learning a lot about it and most notably it's not that expensive to get it and this is where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the very best policy for you. Why should you trust them? They have helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance, renter's insurance, and health insurance, all very important things that you need to find the best prices for. So if you care about it, they can cover it. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, go to policygenius.com. It's the easy way to compare the top insurers and find the best policy for you. You'll be saving time, money, and hassle, and it's free. This is a no-brainer. Just go to the website. Check it out. Policy Genius, because comparing life insurance doesn't need to be a pain in the neck. To wrap up today's show, let's talk Infinity War. So, first of all, spoiler warning before we get into this. We are going to share big Infinity War spoilers. So, uh, if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled just stop the episode now see you in after dark or next week thanks love you bye so i want to start by saying the film it blew away my box office expectations it is the highest grossing opening weekend of all time both domestically and worldwide Uh, the previous record holder was the last jedi or sorry force awakens uh, that was Star Wars Episode Seven. I'm surprised by that because there have been so many Marvel movies and so many Avengers movies. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like another spoke in the wheel, but I guess Disney was marketing it as the end, as you're going to lose some superheroes. And that was actually my problem with this movie. They didn't kill anybody big. They maybe killed Gamora. So they probably killed Loki. Oh, I think so. Definitely. But that was really it. And I was expecting some big deaths. There was that stupid Iron Man fake out, which was such a disappointment. After all this, all this buildup, all this marketing, Robert Downey Jr. at the US premiere, he made a big speech about, you know, oh my gosh, this is the end. I really thought he was going to die in this one. I thought Captain America was going to die in this one. So, you know, Iron Man almost dies, and then he comes back to life, thanks to a deal between uh, Thanos and, uh, who was it? Doctor Strange. Strange. Doctor Strange, thank you. I just was very disappointed, and it is, Marvel never takes risks with their characters. They always live uh, another day, and I don't think that was a very good ending making half of the characters disappear because we know they're coming back. Spider-Man and Black Panther are not dead. They both got plenty of movies coming up in the future. That is not a cliffhanger knowing that these characters are dis- have disappeared and they're going to come back. The question, of course, is how are they going to come back? But is that a cliffhanger? I don't fucking care. I just know that they're going to live because Marvel never kills anybody. Well, Andrew, this is where I think you're wrong. Um, Even though I do agree that Peter Parker and T'Challa will probably be back, what you're discounting here is that the deaths of those characters open up the possibilities for um, for, uh, the ultimate universe in which 
A, Peter Parker dies and Miles Morales becomes the new Spider-Man. And B, Black Panther dies and his sister Shuri becomes the new Black Panther. So there are possibilities there. They may not necessarily do those things by actually killing those characters yet. But we may see some Shuri as Black Panther action in part two until they get T'Challa back. Um, There were also teasers in Spider-Man Homecoming that Miles Morales does exist in this universe. So they could be building up to bringing those characters on later. Furthermore, the post credit scene hinting that Captain Marvel is going to be involved in part two also raise a lot of questions about how they're going to undo all of this. So I think the ending is less about shock value for the characters dying and more about like, oh shit, how are they actually going to facilitate bringing these people back? Is it going to be the same when they do? Because there's no telling what these characters are going to be like when they get brought back from the dead. Because, well, one, they're not actually dead. They just don't exist. It's not like there were bodies thudding and hitting the ground. They literally disappeared from existence. Furthermore, I still think the possibility for Captain America dying exists. Because when they bring Bucky back, Bucky uh, ultimately took the mantle from Captain America when he died in the comics. Mm. So just be patient. I definitely understand, like... Your frustration, though, I will say, because for the uneducated fan who maybe just likes the movies and doesn't understand the idea of the slow burn or all of the different avenues that they could go with, with regards to like what comics are still out, it was like two and a half hours of setup with not very much payoff. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I totally understand why... It could frustrate some people for sure, because it was basically just like, yeah, it was just all set up for Thanos to get what he wanted before we actually get to like the real battle. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought it was really significant that for like their 10 year anniversary movie, it wasn't a story of the heroes triumphing for once. It was a story in which the bad guy was so bad that he fucking wrecked them all. And yeah. I think that's significant in this universe, too. There is something to be said for that. I I did enjoy the movie. I enjoyed seeing the superheroes meet each other for the first time in many cases and work together for the first time. It was fun seeing Iron Man and Doctor Strange together, for example. Um, those two with uh, Chris Pratt's character, Star-Lord, all working together. I thought that was a great scene. And Spider-Man, that, that, that was a great scene. And I do think some characters are going to die in the next one. But, like, I just can't help but feel misled here. The next movie is only a year away. The next Avengers movie. I think they've shot it all already. And they haven't been really... I don't think the general population knows that there is a second Avengers movie coming out next year. We well, were... they stayed for the end credits they do. Because there's that last... The last scene is, like, Thanos will return. Yeah. So. I just feel like we were all a little misled. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, Andrew, you're very in the know about this stuff, right? Because you cover pop culture and media. The average moviegoer walking into this probably doesn't know, A, like the lore behind this to explain how that ending happened. And B, like they probably suspect there's going to be a continuation, but they don't know when. So for those people, they're going to be kind of on tenterhooks for the next year or so until they see a trailer come Christmas time. Yeah. Oh, and I can't even imagine what the box office is going to look like next year because now Mm -hmm. we all got to know how it ends. (laughs) It'll be insane if... Infinity War Part 2, that's not the title, but whatever it ends up being called, breaks all the records that Infinity War broke just this past week. Like, that'll just be absolutely insane. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine the hype for it being as much as this one has been. Just because we knew going into this that a lot of people were going to, quote unquote, die, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why there was so much hype around it. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I almost, I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that Captain America will die in part two. Yeah. 
And he has said as much, actually. He's, mm-hmm. He has said he doesn't think he'll do any beyond Avengers 4. So Yeah, but that's well, and also, if you look at his contract, it's done after yeah. the next one. So, And that's the thing here. Many of these people, like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, they've been in this for a good 10 years now. And that's just kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. So you don't blame them, but you also really expect it. And it does feel like it, it's time. Obviously, they have established many, many great characters in the years since Captain America and Iron Man first debuted, like the ones we see in Black Panther um, or other recent films like Guardians of the Galaxy even. So mm-hmm. I do. I do. I am really sad because I think that Gamora is gone. If she comes so back, too. you do think what? so too, Pam? No, I, I was going to say I think so too. Yeah. yeah. If she comes back, I'll be pissed because that was definitely one of the better arcs in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like kind of what I was wondering, too, because like with and this was kind of like my problem with Doctor Strange. If you guys saw that, it's like the initial battle that takes place in that movie is just all undone because of the time stone. So how far back can you go in time? Like how much can you fix is that like the deus ex machina of like the whole story? Mm. My yeah. understanding is that you can't go back very far. Okay. That he can kind of go infinitely into the future, but he's really limited on how far he can go into the past. So that's why I think people like Loki, Gamora, um, and Idris Elba's character, who I can't remember the name right now. Anyway, I think they're all definitely dead. Yeah. Um, well, you know. J.K. Rowling said time turners could only go back a few minutes, and uh, look what happened there. Yeah, well, that's, true. <laughs> that's we'll we'll give Marvel like another ten years to jump the shark on that one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I thought the thing that I find so interesting about Gamora is I'm like, okay, obviously she's dead, but like also her soul, like, is it trapped in the Soul Stone? Is that where she exists now? I mean, if that's the case, couldn't she maybe come back if they, like, destroy it? I don't know, because the thing was, like, in order to get the Soul Stone, you had to trade a soul. Right. So I don't know if that can be undone. Was it a trade or was it a sacrifice? Well, a sacrifice, yeah. Hmm. Because that would suggest she's dead. Mm -hmm. That's literally, like, the most depressing ending then, because she's just soulless in a potential afterlife, if that Mm -hmm. exists. Yeah. Mm. I really need to see this again, though, because I I just felt like this movie, um, my one criticism of it, it's not even terribly rough criticism. It's that large ensemble cast movies always suffer from being overpacked. So mm-hmm. I kind of went into this expecting that, and it's basically what it did. So I do want to see it again just so I can maybe pick up on some things that I didn't notice on a first viewing. Yeah. We got some reviews from associate producer patrons over at patreon.com slash millennial. Ricardo says, I personally loved Infinity War. I didn't really know what to expect from the movie with so many characters that I love and care about. But boy, did the Russo brothers nail it. There were many moments, even on my second viewing, that made my heart racing slash on the edge of seat. Even the end I found was wild, especially since they killed off Scarlet Witch who I suspected would be one to ultimately fix everything. In the comic universe, she is super overpowered. I'm very curious and excited to see what's going to happen in part two. Love that Gauntlet is basically useless at the end. P.S. Gamora and Loki better fucking stay dead. P.P.S. This is the second movie that has successfully, at least in terms of Marvel movies, that they did a good job of humanizing Thanos, which was amazing. Yeah, that was true. Um... I agree with Ricardo. I will give the Russo brothers credit for all that all that they had to do in this movie. It was handled pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Here's a, here's a comment from Zach, who was on the show a few weeks ago. I'm almost afraid to say this, but I was disappointed in the story. It had good moments, and I quite enjoyed the first half, but it went to shit for me, and I don't plan to see part two. But I'm also not a huge fan of these kinds of movies, so no one crucify me. No one's going to crucify you, but I think you'll probably see part two. (laughs) I'm with Laura here. People always talk tough and then 
They change your minds. Sarah says, I just finished the movie and pretty much the only thought running through my mind is, are you shitting me? Like everyone told me they weren't prepared for that ending, but fuck. Still thought it was a solid movie though. I was mostly excited to see Wakanda and The Guardian, so I guess I'll keep rewatching those movies to ease my pain until part two. And finally, Jared said, I thought it was fantastic, but extremely shocking. I've always walked away from a Marvel movie and know what was coming next. This was the first time I've left not having any idea what's going to come next. My only theory at this time is that all who were turned to dust are not in fact dead. It's established in the comics book in the comic books that the Soul Stone is actually a pocket universe. I think whatever happens in part two will be about getting those taken out of the Soul Stone. Beyond that, I cried when Spider Man was being taken. So did I. Same. Yeah. Because again, it's not like it was surprising. It was more the performance and the delivery, like him being like, I don't want to go. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think that just because like, you know, he's a superhero, people forget that Peter Parker is like a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in like dealing with things that children should not deal with. So it was yeah. just like tenfold. Yeah. And that relationship that they've built, like, I mean, Tony Stark is like very crass, but you can tell he genuinely cares. Mm-hmm. And it was just awful. All right, that concludes this week's episode of Millennial coming up in After Dark, which will be available to $2 patrons and above. We're going to do What the Fuck News. It comes back. We've got some good stories to talk about, including a poop train that was parked in Alabama. And I think I experienced the poop train a few weeks ago. So we'll talk about that and a few other stories, and we're going to spin one of the stories on its head by doing a devil's advocate that and much more is over at patreon.com slash millennial you get ad free installments of the show you get hashing it hashing it out today pam and i spoke about uh airbnb and our thoughts on those we just have freewheeling discussions and hashing it out and after dark it's a lot of fun and by the way earlier today i just updated our thank you page on millennialshow.com where all of our active patrons are currently listed, and we say thank you to all of you. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye. I like the comment on this YouTube video going for the movie now, but wanted to listen to this before that. <laughs> the ultimate I hype song, that. I guess. <laughs> That's got to be somebody's mom, right? Like, that thinks that <laughs> someone's going to respond. <laughs> <laughs>